This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's tribe time now. Welcome to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Tribe Talk is brought to you by Progressive, helping Indians fans save hundreds on car insurance. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Another edition of Tribe Talk, a program that you can find on the Indians radio network each weekend. Normally, we send it down the network lines at about 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. So sometime from 5 o'clock on, you can find that. Check your local listings. It's on WTAM in the Cleveland market and on many of our Indians radio network affiliates throughout the state of Ohio and on into Pennsylvania and New York State as well. We are also found on Indians.com and also as a podcast on iTunes. Just go to Cleveland Indians Podcast and you can download the podcast form of this show and listen to it whenever you like. Coming up on this week's show, we will get the very latest from Chris Antonetti, the Indians president of baseball operations on some of the roster moves made this week by the Tribe, including no qualifying offers offered to the free agents that have become available for the Indians, and that includes Michael Brantley. That will be in the tail end of our show today. Coming up after the break, we'll hear from Anthony Castrovince, MLB.com national correspondent. He was at the World Series. We'll get some information on the World Series and some things Tribe as well from Anthony as he'll join us after the break here and then later on in our program the very latest on Tribe Fest, this year's edition to be held on January the 12th. Austin Contrulis, the Indians Manager of Communications, will fill us in on Tribe Fest 2019. So a lot to get to on this week's show. Stay tuned. It comes your way shortly as Tribe Talk gets rolling on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Progressive presents... Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And uh, the baseball season has officially come to the close with the ending of the World Series. And uh, joining us now, Anthony Castrovince, regular contributor to our show from uh, MLB.com. You can read his stories there and also uh, regular podcasts as part of the website. So a lot of different things going on for Anthony. Also MLB Network, too, and uh, Anthony Thanks so much for coming by as your off-season has now begun. Or do you get an off-season the way baseball is anymore? 
there is no off season, as you know, Rosie. And uh, in some ways, I like the off season as much as the season. Uh, it gets to be silly season sometimes with the rumors and whatnot. But you know, we we stay pretty busy. Our site actually stays really busy, uh, as busy as some of the summer months. So people uh, people like the news and notes and uh, and yeah, the silly rumors for sure. The World Series, a five game series. Uh, I don't know if it. If it goes down in in total as a memorable series, certainly for Red Sox fans it would be, and, and Dodgers fans too. But um, what was your takeaway when it was completed? It, it certainly seemed like the team that that had the best regular season uh, played that way in the postseason yeah. too. Yeah, and, and as you know, that's that's pretty rare anymore um, in, in the wild card era. So kudos to the Red Sox, and that's the biggest takeaway. Is just yeah, it probably won't be a memorable World Series, but it will be a memorable team. You know, to win 119 games, the third most of all time when you when you factor in the regular season and the postseason, that's pretty special. And uh, and the way they did it too, Rosie, was really interesting. I think it said a lot uh, about uh, how aggressively games are managed in the postseason today, where routinely they use starters out of the bullpen uh, to get key outs in the late innings, uh, right up until Chris Sale uh, closing out the World Series in Game Five. So. Um, it just goes to show it's not always the best starting staff or the best bullpen. It's, I guess, the best pitching staff in total because we saw that with the Astros last year. They had to do something similar where they had to get really creative. And you mentioned pitching, and David Price had a, a tremendous World Series and uh, used in some different roles for him starting yep. on seemingly short notice. Personally, I thought he should have won the most valuable player. He did not, but uh, – what did you think of, of what he was able to accomplish, maybe under those parameters that you mentioned that seemed to be changing in the postseason? Well, he definitely killed the narrative of, you know, David Price can't pitch in the postseason. He he, he showed up, man. He, he really did a great job. There, there were Boston columnists uh, burying him at the beginning of the postseason, saying this guy should never get another start. And uh, lo and behold, he ends up being a hero in the ALCS uh, clincher and then um, in the World Series. I thought he should have been the World Series MVP. You know, he had a really strong start in game two. He comes back uh, out of the bullpen in that crazy game three, that 18-inning game. And then uh, two days later, he's starting game five and, and pitches them, you know, gives them seven-plus innings and, uh, and pitches really well So in, in another clincher. So, yeah, I thought he was fantastic. And, uh, you know, he definitely – you could tell how much it meant to him to, to kind of shake that monkey off his back, you know, his, his October struggles of the past. And now he's a hero in Boston for all time. So you're talking about Boston and where they may take place in history in terms of one of the great teams of all time, certainly just raw win numbers by the time it was all said and done. Having seen everyone in the postseason, or at least most of the clubs in the postseason, a lot of baseball, in your mind, what set them apart, maybe in the context of today's game, maybe not? Well, you know, Rosie, I was kind of joking about it during the World Series where we always want to find, like, lessons from the World Series winner. Like, okay, now how does that apply to your particular favorite team, like the Indians, for instance? And uh, (laughs) I would just say that all you got to do is have a farm system that churns out, you know, five or six cornerstone-type players, including an MVP type in Mookie Betts, um, and then have the highest payroll in the game to kind of round things out, you know, sign a J.D. Martinez. and, um, And, oh, by the way, have a farm system so deep that you're able to make a trade for a, a perennial Cy Young candidate in Chris Sale. If you just do all of those things, uh, yeah, you you have the the path to 119 victories. So they kind of hit on all cylinders, and, and you give them credit. You take nothing away because of the payroll, because we've seen many big payroll teams in the past just choke uh, on the postseason stage or not even get there. 
Um, look at the Nationals this year. We're the only other team to exceed the luxury tax threshold. They didn't even make it to the postseason. So you take nothing away from the Red Sox. But I do think one thing that was two things that were legitimately a separator for them. They play one. They play so well together. No ego whatsoever in that clubhouse. I know that's a cliche, but you really saw it with that club. When you see a guy like Nate Evaldi, you know, coming back on, on short rest, almost no rest, and giving them seven innings out of the bullpen in that 18-inning game, I mean, that was pretty special. And, and we mentioned what David Price did for them. And then, two, uh, you know, the high contact, you know, they don't strike themselves out of innings. It's kind of similar to the Indians' offense in that regard where, you know, that, that can really play up in October if you just put the ball in play, and that's what they do. Anthony Castrovince joining us. MLB.com columnist on the national level now, used to be uh, the Indians.com uh, B reporter back in the day when, when things were just getting going. But, uh, Anthony, uh, we talk about the World Series, and uh, it may not go down as all that memorable down the road, but certainly had a memorable game in Game 3, the 18-inning game. Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that stood out to you as the night that never ended, never ended, seemingly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go through you go through so many swings of emotion where it, it's starting to creep to extras, and you're like, oh boy, here we go. You know, free baseball, as they say, and that's not a free baseball ain't free, Rosie, as you know, especially when you're covering it. <laughs> um, but then then you get to a, and then it's like it's getting silly now. Twelfth inning, third and thirteenth inning, fourteenth inning. But then you just you get to a point of delusion where you just don't want the game to end. Like, hey, we've come this far. Let's just keep this thing going all night and see what happens. So. Um, I, you know, the Dodgers showed great fight in that game. Also coughed up. I, I thought that game was mostly about the Dodgers just coughing up opportunities and, and, you know, keeping the Red Sox in the game. And then finally Max Muncy hits the game winner. But, you know, as much as it felt like the Dodgers won that game, it felt like a victory for the Red Sox as much because they really were able to preserve their bullpen um, with, with Nate Evaldi's great effort. And that was probably the biggest takeaway from the game was actually the losing team having a standing ovation in its clubhouse for Nate Evaldi. And they did not look beaten after 18 innings. And, and now you step back after it's all over and say, boy, it took 18 innings to beat that team. It took the equivalent of two baseball games. So um, it just goes to show how tough the Red Sox really were. And you hear stories of people on East Coast time, uh, some who have early shifts getting up and, and catching <laughs> the tail end of the game. How about you out, out on West Coast time covering the game at Dodger Stadium? Uh, when did you leave the ballpark? And, and what was it like <laughs> when you finally left? Yeah, you get there for uh, – that was a 5 o'clock start local time. So you get there about noon or so, um, you know, for the early access and interviews and whatnot and, and doing stuff on the field. And then, um, yeah, you, I rolled out of there about 3.30 in the morning, Rosie, which is not normal for a game that started at 5 o'clock. So it was definitely a full shift. And that that on the heels of, you know, traveling to the West Coast, which was an experience in and of itself. And I'm not complaining by any means, but it was definitely an all-timer where – um, you're in that weird spot where you know you're going to be at Fenway till two or three in the morning after game two, and that was indeed the case. And then it's like, okay, do I go back to my hotel and lay down for an hour, or do I just go straight to the airport? And I decided to go straight to the airport. And let me tell you, Logan International Airport in the middle of the night um, after a World Series game is quite a scene. Uh, a lot of uh, uh, Red Sox fans who, you know, clearly enjoyed themselves at the ball game, then spilling over uh, to Logan overnight. It was, uh, it was up there. You think some of those folks at Logan then were back for the the parade earlier this week where, I mean, they damaged the World Series trophy? Come on now. Well, I think so. I saw one gentleman in uh, fishnet stockings, you know, kind of like a Halloween costume. I don't know what the rest of the costume was, but that's that's all I saw uh, in the bathroom. And, you know, he had been a little overserved at the ball game. And I'm guessing that he uh, turned it around a week later and it was back on the actual Halloween uh, parade. I'm sure that was not a sober uh, environment <laughs> there in downtown Boston on Halloween. 
Anthony Castrovince joining us. You um, you were on the day-to-day beat for the American League Division Series, Indians-Astros. Um, based on what you saw the remainder of the postseason, uh, sometimes I think when a team's eliminated quickly and, and early like the Indians were, maybe it seems worse than it is when you see what happens later on for the teams that win it. Uh, what were some of your takeaways from an Indians perspective on uh, just how close maybe they are or how far away they yeah. may be to trying to be, be in that picture again? Well, it was such a weird year in general, Rosie, uh, 2018 for the Indians. And, you know, they, they went into October. They had the formula. They had all the pieces the Red Sox have. Again, maybe not the payroll of the Red Sox and um, maybe not quite uh, as much star caliber talent, although I, I think so. Uh, it's just that it didn't come together when it was supposed to. And maybe that shouldn't have been surprised just given the way the regular season played out. It was so ragged. And, you know, they didn't really have their team on the field uh, that they took into October all year until the last two weeks of the season. When you think of Josh Donaldson and then Andrew Miller coming back, you know, we thought healthy or who knows. Um, So, again, you you flip the calendar to October. They had every piece you could hope to have in in terms of personnel. But, you know, the the bullpen, obviously, I thought they had more of a bullpen than they did. It it was – there were no outs to be had from that bullpen, and that'll cost you dearly. Um, Kluber obviously did not step up in game one. And uh, and the lineup, you know, Jose Ramirez went invisible for the last six or seven weeks, and that, that carried in October. That makes a big change in the lineup complexion right there. So it, it was a strange year. Um, I think we'll spend all winter trying to process what we just witnessed because you knew they had the division hand all year, and uh, you just waited for all the pieces to come together at the right time, and it simply never happened. And a lot of people, myself included, thought, you know, maybe they would flip a, you know, flip a switch uh, when, when October started. I still thought the Astros would win that series because I thought they were the better team, but I thought it would be a legitimate series. I thought it would be a, you know, World Series-esque in, in terms of the caliber of talent. But uh, you give a lot of credit to the Astros. They just totally outplayed the Indians in every facet. And the sidebar story coming out of that series, and then it bled through into the Boston series, the American League Championship Series, uh, allegations uh, <laughs> cheating on the part of the Astros. What do you make of all yeah. that? And, and, and is it something that, that could carry through to next season in, in terms of teams looking into what they're doing? You know, I got wind of that um, actually during game three uh, here in Cleveland. And, and then obviously it became a, a big story. And, you know, you never know what to make when you hear stuff like that. You never know if it's sour grapes on the part of the, uh, on the part of the losing team or what. Sign stealing has, of course, been a part of our game forever. Um, it's just a matter of when you start utilizing technology, now you've kind of crossed the Rubicon, so to speak. So that's that's what happened with the Astros. And, you know, their contention was that they were spying on other clubs to make sure those clubs weren't spying on them, which is quite a defense. Um, so I, I don't know. I think that story will kind of linger into next season. But um, I, I think there was a lot of paranoia. I think that was a real takeaway from this, you know, this season, this postseason was uh, the, the paranoia and and the way it affects the game itself. I mean, these games really dragged on in the postseason where, you know, uh, a guy looking in for signs for some absurd amount of time because they're they're putting three, four different signals down, you know, for every pitch. Um, that'll slow a game down. And that definitely happened this October. That certainly was interesting. Anthony Castrovince joining us from MLB.com. And regular listeners to our show know that we branch out beyond the game of baseball. And uh, you are a longtime fan of Bruce Springsteen, have been to many a show, including the Broadway show that he is now conducting. Right. And, uh, and since we last talked to you, you had been to see it when it first started and then saw it again this summer 
same show or, or did it impact you differently when you went back to see it a second time? Yeah, same show, but different. So I saw it during the, uh, the, I struggled to bring it up on, on this show, but the, uh, the, the Yankees division series in 2017, which obviously did not turn out well. They were up 2-0 at the moment I saw the show, Rosie, and, and things were really good for Clevelanders. You know, a Clevelander like me who got to see Springsteen, uh, with the Indians at 2-0 lead and everything fell apart. Um, uh, but no, I saw it the following summer, this past summer, and yeah, same exact show and yet totally different. Way more comfortable on stage was Bruce um, in a, obviously a, a more intimate environment, 900 seats, uh, telling his life story, telling it with emotion and authority and um, and, and just passion and beauty. And uh, um, I don't know, something about it just uh, just hit me even harder. And uh, you just you become a puddle in your seat. If you're if you're not, then you have no heart and no soul whatsoever. So I encourage everybody to watch the Netflix special. Uh, when it comes out in December, you'll be able to watch the full show and tell me I'm wrong. Tell me you are not emotional wreck watching, uh, especially the first half of it when he talks about his parents. And and I know it it sounds like it's it's starting to, to come to a close. It's almost complete. Does he go back out yeah. on tour with the band? My So my prediction is, yes, 2019 with the band. And that might be wishful thinking. They're all getting older and every year is precious at this point. But he could just as easily take the Broadway show on the road, you know, take it over to Europe. Um, that's, that's been long rumored as well. So I'm guessing either Springsteen on Broadway goes to London, Rosie, or some kind of born in the USA, uh, shebang where they celebrate, uh, what would be the 35th anniversary of born in the USA and go out and, and you know, blow up stadiums. That, that's either one of those things is going to happen. Sports and culture with Anthony Castrovins here on Tribe Talk. Anthony, always great to have you on. Thanks so much for coming by. Absolutely, Rosie. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned. More to come after this on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field downtown Cleveland. And we are joined now by the Indians Manager of Communications, Austin Controllis. And we are talking Tribe Fest and some some subtle changes this year date-wise for Tribe Fest Austin. Uh, they're going to bump it up a little bit. And what are some of the reasons behind that? And what is the date this time around for fans who want to attend? Sure. It is January 12th of 2019, um, right after the holidays. Uh, and really just timing-wise, it's because we really get the whole space this time. So last year we had two halls at the convention center, and we actually get to utilize uh, the third hall of the convention center this time around. So it's going to be an even bigger event. Uh, multiple uh, ball fields for kids to play on, batting cages, speed pitch, um, hopefully some offensive and defensive type drills. Um, so really get to utilize almost the whole space of the convention center. Uh, and it's going to be a great sneak peek of the 2019 All-Star Week that will also take place at the convention center. And for fans who had a chance to go last year, it was the first time it was at the downtown convention center. And it was awesome. It really was. Of of the places that the Indians have held Tribe Fest, it was unique when it was here at Progressive Field. Um, but having it at the convention center, the, the space is second to none. I know you've been over there a couple of times, and it just sounds tremendous as it will be again. Yeah, I mean, the space is, is unbelievable, and it allows us to do a lot more. I think when I was here at the ballpark, it was really cool because you were kind of down under the stadium, and that was cool, and got to see different parts of the stadium. But, I mean, at the convention center, it just allows for, for so much. I mean, we have a huge main stage, autograph sessions everywhere, um, obviously all the baseball activities for the kids. Um, and really, that's the best part. I mean, kids get to come to this. And if you're a parent, this is a full-day event in the middle of January that you can take your kid to, let them run around, 
and hopefully they're passed out by 5 p.m. and you get a nice night to yourself. But um, really the space just allows us to do so much. And, you know, for for MLB to come in for the All-Star game and pick the same space that we use for TriFest, I think I think says a lot to um, kind of what that event's going to look like and how big that's going to be. And um, our TriFest is kind of a great segue to that. So. You mentioned the date, January the 12th. Of course, that's a Saturday. Uh, a couple of different sessions. Explain the difference between the two and the timings uh, for fans who want to attend. Again, January took the 12th a date. Sure. So so we have a morning session that is exclusive for uh, our season ticket holders, and that's pretty cool for them because they kind of get their own time uh, for autograph sessions and, and to utilize the space. Uh, and for our season ticket holders, it's only a $5 general admission ticket compared to ten dollars for for the rest of the public uh and it's just another great benefit for for season ticket holders they get priority access for tribe fest for opening day and for all-star games so if you're not a season ticket holder yet uh, and you're thinking about it that priority access to those three events is pretty awesome and that goes from 8 30 a.m to 12 30 p.m so that's the first session and then the second session for the general public from 1 30 to 7 30 p.m uh that's going to be a ten dollar general admission ticket uh, and that is, excuse me, tickets are going to go on sale November 7th to the general public and November 5th for season ticket holders. But the general public event is going to be just as big, um, $5 more, and then it's going to be extra to get those autograph sessions. So you have the autograph sessions for the players. Those are extra tickets, and I believe it's going to be $35 a ticket for the autograph sessions, uh, and you get a maximum of four tickets per session. And, of course, one of the, the big questions that fans ask, Who's coming? It is early in the process, but it'll sneak up in a hurry. As far as those who have committed already, right out of the chute, the biggest and best names that, that you could have. Tell us who's coming in. Yes, so I already have commitments from Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez, and Trevor Bauer. So uh, three huge names there to start off, uh, guys who are committed. We should have about 20 to 25 uh, rostered players from the 40-man roster. So uh, it's going to be big names, and it should be really cool for the fans. So, again, that's Tribe Fest, January the 12th, a Saturday season ticket holder portion, 8.30 in the morning until 12.30, and then the general public event, 1.30 in the afternoon, all the way until 7.30. So plenty of time to enjoy Tribe Fest down at the Cleveland Convention Center, same space as last year, same space they'll use for the All-Star Game coming up in 2019. And tickets go on sale this Monday for the season ticket holders and then this Wednesday coming up for the general public. So make sure you jump online at indians.com slash tribefest. We're being joined by Austin Controllis, Indians Manager of Communications. And Austin, from time to time on our show, especially in the off season, we have some more time to work with. But so many kids maybe in, in that high school age range, college age range, how do I work in baseball is a question that we get all the time. And, and really, there's no stock answer. It's, it's different for everybody who has made it to, to work for a Major League Baseball team. Uh, parents may want to know for their kids if they're interested, grandparents, all that kind of stuff. You have an interesting path, and I think that's the best way to, to let people know. There, there's so many different paths for everybody. So we pick out some folks to, to talk about their path, and, and you're here on a full-time basis um, for about a half a year now. You started uh, just as the season was getting going. But you worked here before as an intern. Tell us about that, how how you got the internship coming from where you were college-wise. Sure. So uh, I went to school at 
Arizona State University, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. So uh, I went into college out of high school wanting to be a Jim Rosenhouse. Uh, I was looking to go the, the play-by-play sports uh, route. Uh, and then I kind of got into school, and the great thing about the Cronkite School is they make you do internships all the time. So I had four internships throughout my time at Arizona State, uh, and I really got to experience everything. I was uh, in a regional sports network my first year. Um, my second year, I worked for a production video production company, uh, and then I took a class with the VP of Communications for the Arizona Diamondbacks, Josh Rowich, uh, and it completely opened my eyes to the sports PR side of things that I had never really seen before. And I was like, wow, I want to do that. Um, so I actually went and interned with a summer collegiate baseball team in New England for a summer. And that was my first baseball job. Um, and that kind of worked my way into an internship with the Diamondbacks, which then the following year took me here. And that brings us to to you getting the internship here. These rarely, uh, where you end up, is, is rarely a, a, just a steady climb to, to various positions. Usually, it's a very much a, a circuitous route, and there's various step backs and, and move ahead and that type of thing. So, you get the internship here, but that doesn't lead to the current job that you're in. You had to go somewhere else, and this is fascinating to me, what, what you did. Uh, explain to the folks your internship ends here, but that was a couple of years ago. What have you been doing the, before you came back here uh, this past season? Sure. So, actually, I'll start. My internship ended... Uh, I didn't have anything lined up. I was like, oh, do I take a third year of interning in baseball? What do I do? Uh, the Indians organization was nice enough to let me go into the fan services department here. Um, so I, and this was when? This was the end of 2015, in between the 2015-16 season. So I go into the fan services department, um, which was great because I got to learn so much more about the organization. I didn't get from an intern being strictly in the communications department. Um, and then from there... Uh, an old Cleveland Indians intern named Matt Wewell, who was the director of communication at the time at USA Speed Skating, sent out an email to all his uh, old baseball peers and said, I need a communi- communications coordinator at USA Speed Skating. So in 2016, I applied to that right as opening day 2016 happened here. Um, so left to Salt Lake in 2016, watched the World Series run uh, from Salt Lake City, uh, but spent two years with Team USA, uh, and that basically ended with me going to Korea for the 2018 Olympics for six weeks. All right, now time out. How much speed skating did you know before you took this job? Uh, I knew the name Apollo Antonono, and that's about it. Uh, absolutely had no experience with speed skating, but my journalism background, what I said is, you know, in journalism, you're constantly having to learn a different profession to write about it, right? Because you're you're covering different things every day. So if I can learn something in 30 minutes and write a 500 to 1,000 word story on it, I can also learn another sport and figure that out to the point where I can talk about it. Um, So I've learned speed skating. Growing up in San Francisco and then college in Arizona, had you ever been on skates? And and do you know how to skate now, having been in the speed skating world? Uh, My wife is from Arkansas, and she actually played hockey growing up. And so she absolutely laughs at me when I get out and uh, try to skate. She says I walk and run on skates, so I can't glide. I'm terrified of being on skates. Uh, 
coordination completely goes out the window. So, no, I cannot skate. I did not try to learn to skate while I was there because I know how bad I am at ice skating. Um, and I'm also not used to winter. So, I mean, constantly freezing in my office. I mean, we worked in an ice rink. So I, there were some days where I had a beanie and gloves on at my desk because I was so cold uh, from the ice rink. But it was a beautiful facility. It was the old uh, long track speed skating rink they built for the 2002 games in Salt Lake City. So we worked out of there which was really cool. So uh, definitely different, but a cool experience. Austin Controllis, Indians Manager of Communications, joining us. Uh, a little background, helpful hopefully for uh, youngsters who are looking to get into the game, uh, maybe parents who have youngsters asking questions, that type of thing. So it brings us to last winter, and through your contacts in the game, you find out there's an opening here. Uh, what's the process then? to try and nail it down and, and become a part of the Indians on a full-time basis in their front office. Yeah, so I was actually at the Olympics in a coffee shop uh, one morning when I found out that the position with the Indians came open. Um, so I actually applied for this position from South Korea, um, and I did that mid-February. Um, and then, you know, it's quite a process. From mid-February through really mid-May, we went through – the interview process and kind of the, the job process and finally found out that I had gotten the job in May um, and came on board with the Indians mid-season at the end of May. So, um, you know, it was definitely a long process. Um, and like you said earlier, there's there's no right way to get somewhere, I think. Um, besides having the internship experience, uh, what I tell people now is if you get a job opportunity in sports, no matter what the opportunity is, take it. Like get the experience working in sports, get the full-time job experience. Um, I wasn't ready for this position as coming out as an intern. Um, and if this job had opened when I was an intern, rightfully so, I wouldn't have been considered for it. So um, I'm really happy I took the speed skating job, even though it wasn't in baseball. Um, so definitely take the job opportunities when they come, and it'll all work out, uh, hopefully, for what you want to do down the road. Great advice, and uh, great to have you back as a part of the team. And uh, it'll be a, a busy season this year with the All-Star Game here and Tribe Fest at the start of our segment here. We talked about it January the 12th. Austin Controllis has been here joining us, the Indians Manager of Communications, talking about Tribe Fest and Career Pass as well. Austin, great to have you along. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Stay tuned. More to come. We'll have Tribe Talk continuing from downtown Cleveland at Progressive Field after this timeout on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you for our final segment and certainly the big news this week roster-wise for the Indians. And there was quite a bit going on in terms of the 40-man roster for the Tribe. Yesterday, Friday, the Indians did not extend qualifying offers to any of their free agents, including Michael Brantley. And there certainly had been some speculation that they might extend the qualifying offer of just under $18 million for next season to Michael Brantley. This does not shut the door on Brantley returning, but it is one avenue that is closed now for him to return for at least another season. Indians president of baseball operations, Chris Antonetti, explains the decision on Michael Brantley. You know, ultimately, it's the first week of the offseason, and 
as we looked at our path ahead, we felt it was it it wasn't the best decision for us to allocate nineteen million dollars or potentially allocate nineteen million dollars right now. Excuse me, eighteen million dollars, seventeen point nine. I was rounding up to eighteen. Yeah, I talked to Michael this morning and reiterated that that the interest is undoubtable. You know, we have we could not have any more respect for any individual than we have for Michael. He's a guy that epitomizes, as I've shared before, all of the things we look for in a player. He's exceedingly productive on the field. Uh, he defines professional, professionalism in the clubhouse, and he's an extraordinary teammate. So the interest and desire is there. What we will have to work through is, you know, our, can we make the pieces fit uh, with the balance of our roster and all the other decisions that we need to make? And uh, Michael will need to assess you know, how we fit within what his market might be. Earlier this week, the Indians did pick up the team option for Carlos Carrasco for the 2019 season. They declined to pick up the option on outfielder Brandon Geyer. And Chris talked about the reasons for both, starting with Carrasco. We believe Carlos has established himself as one of the top starters in the American League and has been a consistent contributor to our team over the last few seasons. So we're obviously elated to continue his um, his time with the team and the organization and expect him to make a big impact on our on our team for the next few seasons. Um, with Brandon, a uh, very difficult decision for us to make. Uh, in the end, we have to assess, you know, where we are in the offseason and making a decision now to allocate those payroll dollars and um, where we, you know, where we ended is that we thought we would be best declining the option, uh, leaving the door open to bring Brandon back, but maybe under potentially different terms. What that will mean is Brandon now has the opportunity to explore the free agent market. And, you know, both sides, you know, in my conversation with Brandon and his representatives, there's an interest both on his end and our end and remaining open-minded to to him coming back to the organization next year. It just won't be under the, the club option. Um, one last note on Brandon, I do think it's important just for us to reemphasize, and I know I shared this at the end of the season uh, when we got together, but the impact that he had on our team on the time we acquired him. He's been a contributing member of our, you know, of our team for the last two and a half seasons and has made a very big impact at times. He battled through some, some injuries and um, when he was healthy, we saw a guy that was capable of impacting our team and, and hitting in the middle of the order against left-handed pitching. Also this week, the Indians signed Leonis Martin to a contract for next season, avoiding arbitration with the outfielder who was acquired from the Detroit Tigers during the season just prior to the trade deadline, but then became extremely ill and was unable to play after just a week with the Indians and missed most of the final two months of the season. Now, the Indians also made some 40-man roster moves. Brandon Barnes taken off the 40-man roster. He elected free agency, activated from the disabled list. Cody Anderson and Nick Goody, pitchers who have contributed to the Tribe in the past. Also, Danny Salazar. It'll be interesting to see what type of condition his shoulder is in heading into spring training. And also activated from the disabled list, outfielder Tyler Naquin, 
and right-hander James Hoyt. So a lot going on roster-wise for the Tribe as this week concludes. And that will conclude this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Thanks so much for tuning in as always. And as always, thanks to Brian Matze for helping to put together our show back at Command Center. Until next week, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Clinic Indians Radio Network. Thank you.